what is this puberty thing? Like, and he had all this hair. It was like, oh my god! And he said, "Why did you say oh my god?" And I said, "Because oh my god, that wasn't there last week." And then at ten and a half, she got her first period, which was quite a surprise for me because I was a very late developer and I thought she would be too. Welcome to Planet Puberty, where we launch into the Mood Swing Milky Way, float by the BO Black Hole, and gaze with wonder at the menstruation constellation. Puberty can be a tough time for all young people, but for kids with intellectual disability and autism, it can be even harder for both them and their parents and carers. Each episode, we try to make puberty less of a bumpy ride by chatting to parents and carers about their experience of supporting a child with disability through puberty. We also talk with professionals about tips and tricks you can use to help you and your child navigate this new world. My name is Katie and I will be your guide as each episode we delve into a new and exciting puberty topic. This episode, we're talking about emotions and puberty. We chat with Mitchell about the emotional changes he experienced at puberty, as well as some of the challenges he faced and some of the things that he found helpful in getting him through puberty's emotional ups and downs. We also asked provisional psychologist and sexologist Hilary Key some of the most popular questions sent in by parents and carers about supporting their child with emotional changes at puberty. But first, let's hear from Mitchell. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Mitch. Thank you for having having me and giving me the the chance to to um, step in on the podcast. Not a problem at all. We're delighted to have you. Can you start us off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? I'm Mitchell. I um I I have a physical and um, intellectual disability. I'm 25 years old and I, I live in the Wollongong Shell Harbour area. And what do you like to do in your spare time? Um, movies, bowling, hanging out with friends. Um, yeah, just just chill, just chill out. Sounds pretty fun. And um, do you do you work at all? I work at Woolworths um, two days a week on the checkouts. And how do you find that? Yeah, I, I find it good because I like to to talk to people, different different customers. Some people I know, some people I I I um I get to know. Some regulars, some non-regulars. So you're a pretty social guy. Yes, I'm very very sociable. Well, that's great because we've got you in to have a bit of a chat today. So um, we got you in to talk to us about your journey through puberty. Do you remember when puberty started for you? Um, when I was 12, 13, well, 10, 11, 12, 13, around that age. And what do you remember about it starting? Do you, what, what happened first for you? Um, cha- change, of, change of appearance. Um, cha- change of relationships, change of change of um, change body changes, different emotions. And had anybody else been through those changes before you, Mitchell, or were you one of the first in your class or your family to go through puberty? I was one of the first in my class and friend friendship group to go through them appearance them 
them appearances and different feelings. Yeah, and was that tough? It was quite tough, actually. You mentioned um, uh, changes to relationships and and feelings. Um, What sort of feelings do you remember going through at puberty? You know, do you remember having mood swings or do you remember being in a happy time or an anxious time? A, A bit of both there. A bit of a bit of both. Um, some happy times, some mixed emotions. And were you able to talk to anybody or get help from anybody to help you deal with these motion emotions? Um, I, I was able to talk to have a a, a relationship, um, a, a relationship friendship with the 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 school counsellor. Who sort of helped me in that that sort of category of um, you know saying this is what this is why this is happening this is why that's happening um, these are the reasons these are the different emotions changes that you're having. So the school counselor helped you a lot. Were you able to uh, connect with them? Easily, did a parent or a teacher help you connect with them, or uh, did you do it yourself? It was a it was a teacher that introduced me, and m- most of the time I used to go there on um, odd occasions. Like um, I used to push myself to go to the counsellor to to have a chat. That's a pretty grown up thing to do if you're, you know, not feeling super comfortable, but kind of forcing yourself to go to the counsellor. Why yes. Why did you do that? Well, I thought I couldn't talk to anyone else and I thought maybe maybe the next stage is talking to someone that's not part of the family or, or a friend because everybody gives different advice. Yeah, definitely. And sometimes I think it's easier to talk to somebody who's not, a family member yep. um, who's a little bit removed in that professional sense. Yes, yes. One of the other things you talked a bit about before, Mitchell, was that, you know, the relationships in your life changed. Uh, that can be a little bit tricky go- when people are going through puberty because they're used to having these friends and these certain relationships in their life. yes. Um, what about those relationships changed for you and, and how did that make you feel? Well, different friendships. It made me feel a bit up and a bit down some days, sort of feeling like, oh, is this normal? Should I go along with it? Should I should I, um, should I, I not go along with it or should I not worry about it? Should I worry about it? Yeah, I think a lot of kids feel like that, you know, wondering if what they're feeling is normal and if these changes are is is anybody else going through it um so you spoke to the counselor about these things was there anybody else that you spoke to that helped you get through these changes I spoke to mum and dad a little bit but mostly the school counselor and what was some of the counselor's advice to you around these changing relationships try not to worry about things or let things worry you and what about was there anything around you know, if you had disagreements with friends or you weren't sure that you wanted to stay in contact with people, did he, did they have any advice about that? Um, 
just let things roll out. Just sing, just let things roll out and see see if um that that particular friend would like to stay in contact. If not, you know, don't don't push so hard. Meaning don't 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 push so hard meaning um or force the issue towards friends. Let them contact you. Okay, so helping you to sort of realise that sometimes friends grow apart and it might not feel great, yep. but you can you can only do so much in trying to re- reconnect with them. It's up to them in the end, is that Yes, it's two-way correct? street. And did you do anything to start connecting with other people or make new friends? Um, I started going to different groups which were on the NDIS register. I um I'm I'm recognised as being on the NDIS register, meaning um, going to different other groups that I thought that I wouldn't be able to um, fit in with, but I I managed to find some other friends in in this in that sort of category where I could talk to or 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 um, have a have a relationship with you know have a friendship. Absolutely, and it can take a lot of courage to step out there and and meet new people because sometimes it can be a bit scary. Did you feel anxious about going out there and meeting? Yes, new I people? did. I I felt very anxious, and I had anxiety. Um, my anxiety was um, playing up a little bit. And were you able to get some help with that to sort of manage your anxiety and and make that? transition a bit easier well, going for to you? the doctors and explaining to the doctor that um maybe there's a form of medication that I could go on um for my anxiety and w- was that helpful yes it was it was very helpful and did you do anything else as well as taking medication to help with your anxiety or was it just the medication well just the medication it was just other things to take my mind off other stuff like different groups. Great. So you did some other activities with different groups just to help you feel a bit more comfortable and a bit less yes, anxious. Yes, I did. And did it take a long time to help you feel less anxious or was it something that you worked on or did it happen quite quickly? Um, it was something that was sort of worked on. It didn't happen just in five minutes. Yeah. Did it? You work on it over a few months or did it take a few years? A few months, a few years even. And is it something that you need to sort of go back and forth? Like you might be feeling all right for a while and then the next minute you might be feeling a bit anxious again and you need to revisit some of those strategies. Is that right or is it something that you feel like you're past now? Something that I feel like that I'm past now, you know. Maybe I, I can revisit that, some of the things. But I also see a psychologist too, which that helps just get things off my chest or just um, different feelings, you know. Um, you know, I like to sort of talk to people to resolve issues. Yeah, that's great. Talking about things can definitely really help when you're feeling a bit anxious or a bit worried about yes. things. Yep. Do you think also part of it might be that you're an adult now and maybe you're out of that um, sort of upheaval of puberty? Yes, yes. And 
for parents of children with disability who are going through puberty now, do you have any advice that you would give them on how they can support their kids with their emotions during puberty? If something's not right, um, talk to somebody so that they can resolve the issue or the issue can be resolved. Well, that's great. Thanks, Mitch. Um, It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Do you have any final words that you want to say to our listeners before we sign Um, off? To always always enjoy yourself, always um, have fun. You know, there's no point in going to a place that you're not going to have fun or there's going to be somebody there that's going to bully you or harass you. Um, Don't let that worry you. Just you're you're going for a reason to have fun. Don't 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 let that put you out from. Don't let that put you down from for not attending. If it's something that you really want to do, just go ahead and do it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Mitch. We've really loved having you on the podcast. And th- thanks very much for giving me the, the opportunity to, to talk to you on the podcast as well. When children start puberty, it's normal for their moods to seem changeable or even for them to feel more frequently overwhelmed, sad or angry. This can be a tricky time for both the child and their parent and carer. However, thankfully, we know that the fluctuations in hormones that cause teenage mood swings don't last forever. As children grow and develop, their hormones and moods will eventually settle back down. During this turbulent time, however, many parents and carers have concerns about helping their child to process these emotions and express them safely. So we talked to sexologist and provisional psychologist Hilary Key about strategies and resources for supporting young people with their emotions at puberty. Can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yes, of course. So I am a provisional psychologist and I also have a master's degree in sexology. So my background is in um, sexual health and sexual health education. Um, And I work mostly with children and adolescents with autism spectrum disorder, um, a variety of developmental disorders and intellectual disability as well. Wonderful. Well, we have some questions that parents and carers have sent in for you to answer today, so we might jump straight into it. Uh, The first question that we have is from Tal in Tasmania, and Tal has said, my son has an intellectual disability and has always been a very happy and sweet little boy. However, since he has started puberty, his moods have been all over the place. The smallest thing or change in his routine can upset him. He doesn't seem to be coping with the emotional changes that puberty has brought, and I'm unsure if this is normal teenage behaviour or if it's because of his disability. How can I help him better manage his mood swings? Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think we do know from disability, especially intellectual disability and developmental disability, that any sort of changes or transitions can be really difficult. Um, for them to handle but we also know of course that puberty brings a lot of change and it does tend to bring mood swings and feelings changes and body changes as well so it can be an intersection of both of those things it can be one of those things or the other I think I would always say to any parent that if you have any serious concerns always good to see a doctor first or a pediatrician 
Um, but as we know, puberty is a massive time of change for any child as well. So if you, if you think about children with disability, it would be even scarier if you didn't know what was happening to you, you didn't understand or you didn't know what was coming. So I would definitely say do the same as you would with any other big upcoming transition for example, school, um, change of school, change of class, just take the time to sit down and prepare him ahead of time as much as you can. Um, talk about puberty, tell him about, you know, tell him it's normal to feel a bit strange and to have new feelings and have moods. Um, break it down into specific things, you know, what can he expect to happen? What sort of body changes can he expect? What things might you expect for your moods or your feelings? Just preparing them ahead of time as much as possible. Um, even break it down further and talk about what moods are. You know, what does that even mean? What does that word mean? How do you know when you're when you're in a mood? You know, what does it look like? What does it feel like in your body? Um, what should you do about it? You know, what's give a couple options maybe of how you can handle that. Um, I find with my clients with intellectual disability, it's, it tends to take using different modes of information, like, for example, pictures, um, books, videos, verbal explanation all at once, um, just combining sort of visual mediums with, with words as well, um, and lots and lots of repetition. So it can take them some time to really understand or for things to sink in. Um, so be prepared for that, that that's, that's okay. Just keep trying. Um, some that some of my clients use are special boys business or special girls business or something that might help you is, is your child's growing sexuality, which is a resource on, on the Family Planning New South Wales website. Something else I do with some of my clients is making a visual chart with a few pictures um you could use a couple different pictures for example of a face that might show someone being frustrated um with the arrow next to it to an option you can use of what to do when you're feeling that way and you know really collaborate with with your child on that i would say and, and help them or ask them to help you pick pictures that they think you know correctly represents being sad for example and then make it together, you know, make it a bit of a craft and you can create that chart together and then put it up on the wall. And then next time he's in a mood, just, you know, remind him to look at the chart and, and pick an option from where he's feeling. And that might really help too. That's great, Hilary. I think with puberty, a lot of the times parents are really concerned about those physical changes um, that their kids go through and so a lot of the focus on preparing them for those changes is around you know growing taller and you know growing pubic hair and getting periods and things like that so also remembering to prepare them for those emotional changes as well is just as important as preparing them for the physical side of things. All right, well, we might ask our next question, uh, which is from Angela in Victoria. Um, Angela has said, my daughter is 14 years old and has a moderate intellectual disability. Over the last few months, I have noticed that she is increasingly sad and despondent. She doesn't want to play on the jungle gym or with her friends, when she, which she usually loves. I don't know if this is just a puberty thing or, is this a, or if this is something we should see a professional about. What should we do? Again, I would probably say if there's any major concerns, perhaps see a GP or the pediatrician first, just to make sure that it's 
nothing underlying for a medical reason. And aside from that, it's pretty normal for interest and friendships to change as we get older. Same as for any neurotypical person growing up. Um, But if she does seem very sad or down and it is persistent, maybe try to just explore that a little bit more with her. For example, try pointing out and asking her. You could say, I noticed you haven't played on the jungle gym with Sarah. Is something wrong? To see what she says. There could have been an argument between them. She may have hurt herself on the jungle gym and now she's avoiding it. Could be something completely different. So just keep it up in mind. Maybe just try using those open-ended questions to explore it a little bit in a language that she'll understand. Um, and always remind her that she can talk to you if she is sad or if she does have any questions. I'd Yeah, just keep monitoring it, keep asking. The biggest thing is to make sure she feels safe, that you're there and you're the safe space to go to when she has questions. So try not to pressure, but offer, and she will come when she needs to to talk. So that's something I've been talking about with one of my parents a bit lately is um, as much as you know that it's really, really, really important that they come to you, sometimes if we try to stress how important that is to them, it can have the opposite effect, strangely. So if you kind of keep that sort of calm and relaxed um, mood when you do approach it and keep that attitude that's like, you know, you don't have to talk about it now if you don't want to or, you know, I'm not going to press you now, but just reminding you you can come to me when you're feeling that way. Eventually they will come. And again, for this one, um, it's great for intellectual disability to use any books or resources to try to explain friendships and relationships through puberty. And that way she's got something to refer back to um, in case it does take a bit of repetition to understand. And then she's got something there as well to to refer back to and maybe to go through on her own um, if she does, if she's curious or, or wants to have a look at it again by herself. Um, the only other thing I could think of for this one is If it persists, maybe speak to the school or any other regular caregivers and just see if they've noticed anything unusual as well to see if it's happening elsewhere or ask your doctor maybe about a referral to see a counsellor or a psychologist if if it is really persistent. Yeah, so looking at it in a more holistic way and recognising that there may be other supports in her life that might be aware of something that's going on that, you know, might not be happening in other areas of her life as well. And did you have any uh, specific resources that you would suggest for that, Hilary? Body Talk can be good, the bodytalk.com.au resource. Um, also special girls business, any types of um, YouTube videos. I use a lot of, um, for example, just pick what she's already interested in. If she likes a particular, like Frozen, for example, you can even just use YouTube clips of Frozen where they're, you know, interacting as a family or where one of the characters has a love interest or something like that um, as an example of what you're trying to teach, you know, find something she already enjoys that she already knows a lot about and then just relate it to the topic that you're trying to explain. That can be really, really helpful. Great. Um, Well, for our third question, Hilary, we've got a question from Caroline in New South Wales. Uh, Caroline says, my son is 13 and has autism. He struggles to express his emotions and I worry that as he goes through puberty, this could be a real problem. 
Our family has a history of anxiety and I want him to be able to express when he is feeling worried about things so that he doesn't get overwhelmed. How can I help him to learn how to express his feelings? Mm, Yeah, this one is definitely the most common goal I think clients come to me with. Um, We call it emotional regulation. Um, So there's a few different parts to this one. Um, One is identifying the emotions. So knowing what different feelings are and how to recognize them in your body. For example, worry might make your tummy feel a bit sick. Um, Then next would be sort of communicating that feeling to those around us. And then that means having a system that works for you, whether that's using words to tell an adult or tell one another what you're feeling or using a chart, for example, to point to pictures of what that feeling might be. Um, And then from there, you can go move into the regulation aspect, which is picking a strategy to help you get from feeling angry or worried, for example, back down to feeling calm or relaxed. So one, a resource that I use a lot is a program called the Zones of Regulation which is a a CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy-based program that works really well for this. Um, A lot of children already use this or might already know what it is in school, which is great. Um, You can look it up online and there's lots of free resources and explanations of what it is and how to use it and start using some of that language maybe or those tools at home as well, especially if they are already using it at school. I think the single best and possibly easiest thing you can do to help them learn to express themselves is what's called modeling, which is just to start doing it yourself at home. For example, say out loud or narrate how you're feeling. Say, you know, mom's feeling frustrated today because I got stuck in traffic. Can I have a hug? So there you're communicating your own feelings in the way you're giving him an example and helping him learn how to appropriately do this on his own. Um, And you're also in that example, she would have also been picking a regulation strategy too, saying, can I have a hug? That's an example of saying, oh, you know, I'm feeling really frustrated. The strategy that I think I should be using or one that I've chosen is to have a hug. And just to always remember that different strategies might work for him than what you use. For example, if, if he's not communicating his feelings by talking about how sad he is, which is something you might do, you might think something's wrong. But really for him, his strategy that works might be spending some alone time to cool off or playing video games or sports instead of talking it out. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I think a lot of parents get stuck in that mindset that's, you know, if they're alone, or they're playing lots of games that, you know, it's a horrible thing and they should be outside playing or they should be, you know, telling them how they're feeling, which can help. But at the same time, that might have been a strategy that they chose. You know, a lot of clients, when I use these analogies or we go through this program, when I ask them, you know, if you're feeling really angry or frustrated, what's something you could do to calm down? A lot of them will say, oh, watch a video on my iPad or play a video game. So. I guess just keeping in mind that what they might think of as calming can be a bit different from what you might as well. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. I think a lot of us, uh, when we're thinking about regulating our emotions, we have this ideal 
image of somebody going outside and taking a relaxing nature walk or sitting down and meditating but really we all deal with stress and feelings of anxiety and anger in very different ways Mm, yeah absolutely and just to touch on uh the anxiety part of this question, Hillary, because uh, Caroline has expressed that their family has a history of anxiety. Uh, is this something that occurs commonly with teens or even more so with teens with disability um, or is it just something that's, you know, you can't really predict? Um, a little bit of all of those, I would say, Katie, but worry and the feelings of, of anxiety are pretty typical especially amongst children with ASD or autism spectrum disorder um, in forms of like separation anxiety for example or social anxiety um, anxiety around things not being as expected or um, sensory issues you know sometimes they um, experience loud noises or being in crowds of people or different types of touch differently so there can be a lot of anxiety that comes from that which I guess you could consider normal I think when anxiety becomes clinical or um, a real concern beyond what someone might think of as as normal is if it's really impacting on your day-to-day functioning, if it's really preventing you from being able to do things or if it's really persistent. So um, a little bit would be normal and functional, but I think if it goes beyond that or if she's really concerned, then yeah, definitely see a professional. Okay, great. Um, our next question is from Vicky from Queensland. Uh, Vicky has said, my daughter is 11 and has a mild intellectual disability. She's very outgoing and has lots of friends. I recently overheard some of her friends talking about people they had a crush on and who they want as a boyfriend. Uh, my daughter hasn't mentioned anything about this to me, but I know it will only be a matter of time. Because of her disability, my daughter can sometimes take a little while to learn new things, so I'd like to start talking to her about crushes and boyfriends as soon as possible uh, so that she doesn't get left behind by her peers. Could you give me some advice on how to explain a crush to my daughter? Mm, yeah, thanks, Vicky. That's awesome, actually. I love that second, that last sentence there about um, really wanting to start talking to her as soon as possible so she don't, doesn't get left behind. I think that's a great intention and um, that's very, very important, especially with children with disability, but with any child really is just talk about it as soon as you can. Um, and Vicky has also sounds like she's noticed here that um, they are talking about it already, her and her friends, or it's come up or, you know, there might be something going on there. So she's obviously observed that as well, which is usually um, a good indication that she's at an age appropriate stage for that. Um, there's another resource online that can be really helpful. It's called the Traffic Light um, System. If you just look up the Traffic Light um, Sexual Development for Children, It'll come up with a, a PDF of um, a big breakdown of what might be red light behavior or something that's sexually inappropriate for someone of that age. And then there's green light, which is like sexually appropriate and, and normal, typical developing behavior. So if you're ever concerned, something that your child is exhibiting, whether or not that's normal for their age or if it's not, um, have a look on there and that might 
give you a better indication of something that needs to be action or something that's pretty typical behavior. And um, so this is great that Vicky's picked up on that and she's sort of thinking to herself that she wants to address, I'd say, maybe plan ahead of time what you would want to say so you don't get overwhelmed or off topic when you do have the conversation. Um, so whether that's, you know, chatting to your spouse about it ahead of time, making a bit of a game plan, or if it's writing down some points that you want to cover, or if it's just sort of rehearsing to yourself before you go in, um, that can be really helpful. A good place to start also is asking what she already knows. So if you've already heard or overheard and talking with friends about it, chances are she already knows a little bit or, or thinks she does. So yeah, just ask her. That way you can gauge where to start in the conversation and it gives you a great opportunity to either dispel some misinformation or some myths that she might have or validate what she's correct about. Um, so you could just ask, oh, you know, I heard you mention or Sarah said the word crush about a boy at school. Can you tell me what, you, you know, a crush means? And just sort of see what she says and then that gives you somewhere to start. Um, I might say with a client of mine, for example, that as we grow up, we might start to have a crush on someone, which means that we like them as more than a friend. So it's not the same as you like your friend Sarah or the same as you like mom and dad. It's a different kind of like, might make you feel a bit nervous, like butterflies in your tummy when you're around them. You might feel a bit silly and giggly around them, or you might be thinking about them a lot when they're not around this means that you might have a crush on them. Just something like that. Trying to pair it back to what it feels like in the body can be really helpful too. So it's a bit more tangible to have a better um, understanding because sometimes those words that we use about feelings can be a little bit hard to understand. Um, and I think the main and most important bit to emphasize here is that it's normal. This is normal. It happens to most everyone. And just to emphasize what's appropriate and inappropriate to do with those feelings, for example, bring it back to personal space, to consent, to appropriate, inappropriate touch. Um, it's also important to emphasize that sometimes your crush might feel the same way about you, but sometimes they might not, and that that's okay. So just giving that expectation that, you know, even though you feel that way about someone doesn't mean they feel the same way about you so that you know they're prepared for that outcome as well and then just yeah encouraging them to always come to you with questions um, in the future as well great and if you are looking for more information around relationships and dealing with boyfriends and girlfriends and things like that you can check out our relationships episode of the podcast Thank you so much, Hilary. You've given us some wonderful examples of navigating the emotional roller coaster that happens with puberty. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on Planet Puberty as we talked about emotions with Mitchell and Hilary. We hope that the stories, information, and advice that they shared help you to navigate puberty with your child. All resources and services mentioned in this episode are included in the show notes. You can find them at planetpuberty.org.au forward slash podcasts. Our music is Levels by Ketzer. For further information on emotional changes at puberty, you can go to the Planet Puberty website or you can email disability at fpnsw.org.au. 
Join us again in two weeks when we talk about periods.